This is Exposing Washington with Walker Wildman, bringing clarity to Washington, D.C. news. We see corruption at every level in Washington. Exposing the deception plaguing our nation's capital. Not only what he told every Republican senator, but what he told the press over and over and over again was a simple lie. And helping Christians stay informed about government. This puts a bigger burden on voters to go figure out what's actually going on. This is Exposing Washington with Walker Wildman on American Family Radio. Red flag laws. China and Muslim radicals. That's what we're going to be talking about on the show today. Three different topics. We're going to cover them all today on Exposing Washington. Glad to have you with us today. Walker Wildman here. I'm your host. AFR.net is our website. American Family Radio is the network that you hear the show on each week. You're either listening on one of our terrestrial FM radio stations or you're listening on the app, or you're listening on our website, AFR.net. Various ways to keep up with the show. Exposing Washington is the show. Walker Wildman here. Uh, I'm your host. And the goal of the show, and, 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 and you'll see this on our website, the goal of the show is really just to bring you the news that is, is going on in Washington, D.C., bring it to you from a, a strictly Christian perspective, and bring you the truth sometimes that you're not going to hear anywhere else. So that's what we're going to do on the show. That's what we do every weekend on the show. Visit our website, AFR.net. You can also uh, check me out on Twitter. Just type in at Walker Wildman on Twitter. Lastly, you can watch the show each week on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. Just type in Exposing Washington on YouTube, and you can catch the show there. We're going to talk about three different things today. First, I want to stop, uh, start off talking about these uh, red flag laws and by the way next week what i'm going to do i don't have time today but next week we're going to talk about this jeffrey epstein case we're going to talk about and you all know who he is the uh, alleged uh, a sex offender uh human trafficker on and on and on he's now since deceased he died last week in federal custody but this jeffrey epstein guy was a big big clinton friend friend of the clintons and he hung out with various other politicians and powerful people and did some pretty sick things from our understanding uh uh, with underage women so we're going to talk about that and the mystery surrounding his death last week in federal custody did he commit suicide or did someone kill him that's what we'll talk about next week on the show probably take the entire show to talk about that um so that's what we'll talk about next week but right now i want to talk about these red flag laws what are you talking about walker well after some of these shootings such as in el paso these horrendous shootings in el paso and dayton ohio you know it seems like every month or so we have a shooting where 5 10 15 people uh, are, are dead and these shootings are tragic no doubt but what i want to talk about today is some, uh, well, the vast majority of Democrats and even some Republicans now are supporting what's called red flag laws. Well, Walker, what are red flag laws? Well, basically, to keep things simple, red flag laws, and there's uh, roughly uh, over a dozen states have these laws in effect. Florida, California, New York, others. Basically, these laws 
give law enforcement the ability to petition a judge to allow law enforcement to seize one's weapons for various reasons. Some of the reasons would include if they have threatened bodily harm on themselves or others, or if they've shown signs of mental illness, mental instability, etc. And of course, it gets a little more complicated than that, but just on the surface, that's the basis of these laws. Well, now Congress and even President Trump are talking about how they think Congress needs to pass a similar law. And from my understanding, what's going to happen here is Congress is actually not going to pass some red flag type law because they don't have the authority to. This is this is a state matter. This is a 10th Amendment matter. But Congress is set to pass a law to incentivize states to pass similar uh, red flag laws. I just want to talk about a few concerns I have here. Are the intentions behind these laws good? Mostly. I can't say for sure that all are, but that doesn't make it a good law just because there's good intentions behind the law because there's good intentions behind many laws, but that doesn't make them good laws or that doesn't make them constitutional. In this case, the problem I have with the vast majority of these red flag laws is that there isn't complete due process. There is not complete due process. There's partial due process. What do I mean by saying when I say that? Brian Fisher, and, and, and who's host of Focal Point on American Family Radio, points out that due process means that you face a jury of peers you're tried for a crime you have an attorney representing you you get to face your accuser and you're either found guilty or innocent that is due process but what we're talking about here with these red flag laws is where law enforcement goes to a judge secretly without your knowledge and petitions the judge without an opposing opinion or an opposing party to defend the citizen affected here and law enforcement in a one-sided show gets to tell a judge how crazy someone is and why law enforcement should get to take their gun. Now tell me how that is due process. That's not due process at best that's partial due process and so it's deceiving for even president trump or republicans or democrats or anyone to say oh these red flag laws you know they they ensure due process no they don't they ensure due process after your guns have been confiscated but by then the damage is done by then potentially your rights have been infringed upon before due process is allowed to play itself out. Now, uh, on the vast majority of these laws, the, the person affected is allowed to petition the, the judge 
after the guns have been confiscated to have their guns back. But the vast, the, the problem I have is that guns are being taken from individuals without the individuals having their day in court. That's my main problem. Now, if you can figure a way out to give the alleged, you know, mentally unstable person their day in court before you start taking their guns, then we could start talking about how these laws might be beneficial. Not to mention, folks, if the goal of everyone talking about this is to stop shootings, we have to ask ourselves, is this going to stop shootings? Is this going to stop people from being murdered? I would argue, in some instances, it might actually stop a crime from occurring, but the vast majority of criminals are about to be criminals who want to commit a crime. They're going to commit the crime whether they have to use their own gun, whether they still want someone else's gun, whether they use a kitchen knife, or whether they use a vehicle to plow through people, or whether they make a bomb to blow people up. They're going to figure out some way to harm people if they're bent on harming individuals. So we need to be careful about being naive to think that we can just keep passing laws, and that's going to make our country a better place. Because it's not necessarily going to make our country a better place. And so that that's my opinion on these uh, red fl flag laws. And the, the next thing I want to talk about, and we're going to jump topics here, is I want to talk about China. I want to talk about uh, China. And the main thing I want to talk about here, a couple of different aspects. We have this looming trade deal that President Trump has been trying to uh, negotiate with China, China-U.S. trade deal. Right now, there's really not a trade deal in place per se. Um, and so, but before we jump into the trade, I want to talk national security and how China, uh, how Chinese policy versus U.S. policy plays a role in our national security. On the phone to talk with us about this is our good friend Frank Gaffney. Frank is president of Center for Security Policy. He also hosts the Secure Freedom Minute heard on American Family Radio. Frank, glad to, glad to have you on the show. Oh, the pleasure is mine. Thanks so much for having me on. Frank, I want to jump straight to this and just get your input on on a couple things as it as it relates to U.S. foreign policy, specifically with China. You know, uh, I've heard some say, and 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 I don't know where where you are on this, but some experts have said that really no deal with China. Talking about trade here, no deal could end up being better than having a deal that's really really bad for the U.S. Where do you stand on that? Do you think no deal is better than a bad deal? Where do you stand? Well, just let's calibrate for a minute, if we can. Uh, even what appears to be a good deal with China will, I believe, prove to be a bad deal for the simple reason that the Chinese are not going to honor any commitments that they make, good commitments most especially. And that's where we have been, I think, with them for decades now. We've made a series of agreements 
Um, some of them, uh, on the face of them, not very good, honestly, but some of them seemingly. But they're never honored. They're never yeah. fulfilled. And that creates uh, you know, false expectations. It causes our guard to go down. And most especially, if we actually think that this is a very big deal, good deal, big deal, uh, the best deal in the world, particularly, mm-hmm. um, we wind up losing sight of everything else. And that's the thing that's most worrying to me. You mentioned national security. That's, of course, sort of my forte. Sure. But the reality is we are at grave peril, I'm afraid, of thinking that we've gotten a good deal, and that now makes it possible for us to essentially disregard the myriad ways in which China is, let's be clear, waging war against this country. Mm-hmm. Some of them involve trade, yes, uh, predatory trade practices. There's, there's, you know, these various uh, uh, intellectual property thefts that have been going on. There's the currency manipulation and so on. But an awful lot of them have to do with other forms of what the Chinese themselves have called unrestricted warfare. Yes, that they've been engaged in with us for literally decades now. We've ignored it for too long. I commend President Trump for trying to turn this thing around. But trade is, I'm afraid, only one facet of it. It's not likely to be materially improved by a deal. Sure. And much else needs to be addressed that might not be if we focus exclusively on a trade deal. Right. Let me ask you this, Frank. In your opinion, is it fair to say that on a national security level and really on an economic level, China is our enemy? Is it is that... Is it as simple as that? China, as it stands today, is our enemy. Let me put it this way. The Chinese consider themselves to be our enemy. They considered us to be the impediment to the realization of their return to the glorious place that they have been in for most of recorded history, let's face it, the the Middle Kingdom, as they call it, the center of the universe, the dominant power in the world. And as long as the United States is in that position, um, that's obviously unacceptable in terms of uh, what Xi Jinping, the president of China, has called the China dream. So they have to displace us, and they are using instruments of warfare, uh, mostly, as you say, economic warfare, some of them asymmetric and uh, unconventional. But increasingly, uh, there's now a threat of even kinetic forms of warfare that are available to them, partly because over the past few decades, we have been underwriting the buildup of their economic as well as their military power. So when another country thinks of you as an enemy and all of that's going on, it's not a good thing. Yes, I agree, Frank. And and let me let me just say another thing. I think I think our country has been either too naive or they've been complicit in this this Chinese advancement on America, both military, economic and uh, uh, national security. So President Trump is actually raising the alarm now, raising the awareness. So people are actually some, not all, some people are actually waking up to the problem that we have going on here. But if I'm not wrong, Frank, we're talking, this is, this is uh, as they call it, you know, in sports, this is, we're playing the long game here. This isn't something that President Trump or any president can fix in four or eight years. We have to constantly be fighting against Chinese aggression for decades in order to begin to get the upper hand. Is that how you see it? 
Uh, very much so. You know, I had the privilege of working for President Reagan a lifetime ago. And as I'm sure you're aware, Walker, he, he used to say, every generation faces an existential threat to freedom. That's that's the long war you're talking about. I call it the, the war for the free world, because yeah. I think that's really what's at stake. But every generation has to rise to the challenge that faces it, whether it's, uh, you know, the Kaiser or whether it's the Nazis or whether it's the Soviets or, uh, you know, the jihadists or now uh, the Chinese. We have got, not because we want it, not because we've sought it out, but we have now got another existential threat to freedom. And you talk about long games. You know, the Chinese are past masters of strategies that uh, take a hundred years or more. And so we have to be alive to the reality that um, we need course corrections now, yes. And if we take them and we can stay on a better course, you know, it'll make a difference for us over the long haul. But it's going to take constant attention, constant care. And most especially, it's going to take the support of the American people. And that's why I think these kinds of conversations, and I'm so appreciative of all that you guys do at um, AFI, this is a moment where the American people have to be awakened to the full magnitude of the challenge we're facing from communist China. And it's determination, really, to, uh, you know, dominate the world, including our own people. Uh, yeah. That should be unacceptable to all of us, and we we need to be very actively opposing it. Frank, tell our listeners, uh, I've only got a 30-minute show here, so I have to run things through things pretty quickly, but tell our listeners uh, your website, how they can find out more information, and maybe even read some of your writings on, on this Chinese uh, national security threat. Well, good. Thank you very much for that. Um, securefreedom.org is the website of my organization, the Center for Security Policy. Um, Another, which is a very valuable new resource, is a project that the Center has helped sponsor called the Committee on the Present Danger, Mm -hmm. China. Um, The hollowing mark of of the Reagan years is, again, uh, I say this is an existential threat this time, uh, as Reagan faced with uh, a previous Committee on the Present Danger with the Soviet Union. And that website is Present Danger China. Dot org And it's got some great videos, a lot of information, and would really enrich uh, people's understanding of what we're talking about here. All right, Frank. Hey, we'll have you on again soon. I appreciate you coming on, Frank Gaffney. Pleasure's mine. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, there you have it. That's Frank Gaffney from the Center for Security Policy. The two websites he mentioned there, I'll repeat those, securefreedom.org, securefreedom.org, also Committee on Present Danger China. Uh, .org. I, that's a little lengthy. I'll post both of these on the website, AFR.net. Click on the podcast page. Uh, click on Exposing Washington podcast page, rather, and I'll post those two links there for you to click through. Uh, also, all the, uh, the stories that we talk about on the show today will be posted on our website, AFR.net. Click on my podcast page, Exposing Washington, and you can click through and read farther into these stories on the podcast page. One other topic I want to talk about before we end the show, is I'd like to transition to this discussion had this week or the news story about, let me set this up first. The two congresswomen, the two you know staunchly anti-Israel congresswomen, 
Rajita Talib of Michigan and Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, these two congresswomen have been staunchly against Israel, pro-Palestinian, if that's what you want to call it. I, I call it pro-Islamic uh, uh, radicalism. But they've been spending their time in office on American taxpayers' dime, bashing our ally Israel, and defending the Islamic jihadis of the Middle East. And they wanted to travel to Israel not to meet with the Israeli government, not to talk about how strong our alliance is with Israel, but they probably were going to travel to Israel to bash Israel. Probably going to travel to Israel to visit the Palestinian terrorist near the Gaza Strip and talk about how they've been victimized by the Israeli government. So don't be deceived in thinking that these two congresswomen were just going to go on a foreign policy trip to Israel, shake hands, and talk about how important it is to have a strong relationship with Israel. They were going to go to Israel to bash Israel. And guess what? The Israeli government said, you're not coming here, uh, dear congresswoman. That's what uh, uh, Netanyahu, Bibi Netanyahu said, the prime minister there, and the Israeli government. And actually, the Israeli government has a law in place that prevents people who are uh, who support boycott the boycott divest and sanction movement against Israel people who support that can't travel uh, uh, into Israel and benefit from the Israeli economy and just to give you an idea of where these congresswomen stand when it comes to Israel I want to play this clip that we played a few weeks ago. This is clip one. Uh, Rajita Tlaib of Michigan. Here's what she had to say about whether Israel has the right to exist. Let's listen. I know you want to talk about Michigan, so just let's last question on this. Do you think the Jewish people have the right to a state in the area where Israel exists now? Look, I, I truly believe the state of Israel is ex it exists, correct? <laughs> but understand, does it exist in the detriment of inequality for the Palestinian people? detriment of not really moving forward in a peaceful resolution. We're never going to have peace, I truly believe, if separate but equal is the way they want to go. All right, and well, I want to end the clip right there, Brick, because what she just said, and the last sentence there is important. The last sentence there is important because here's what she said, and I'm summarizing. Israel, if Israel wants the right to exist... If separate but equal is going to be their policy, then this isn't going to work. Basically, Israel doesn't have the right to exist if they want to remain a separate nation. That's the logical conclusion of her statement. That's war-like behavior. That's invasion-like behavior. Telling another country that you only have the right to exist if you're willing to give up your country. <laughs> That's no existence at all. And so don't let these congresswomen who know how to beat around the bush, and sometimes they don't even do that, don't let these congresswomen fool you to think that they're just trying to play the middle guy here. No, these congresswomen, Rajita Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, and the rest of them, 
They're Islamic radicals, and I'm not afraid to say it. They're Islamic radicals. What do you mean by that, Walker? I mean they're staunchly against Israel at all cost. These are the same people. Ilhan Omar is the same one who said, you know, some people did something, talking about 9-11. Quote, some people did something. You know why she says that? Because she doesn't want to admit that her religion blew up the Twin Towers. The Islamic radicals from Saudi Arabia rode a plane into the Twin Towers. She doesn't want to say that. Why? Because that implicates her ideology. That implicates her belief system. And this is the problem when our country becomes so deceived, so naive, to think that we can elect Islamic loyalists to Congress and to public office and think that they're going to remain loyal to the United States, our Constitution, and our national security interest. Because if you're against Israel, then you're against America. How can I draw that conclusion? Because America and Israel historically are allies. Not just allies, but staunch defenders of each other. So if you're going to bash Israel, if you're going to hate on Israel and say that they don't have a right to exist, well... Really, you're in direct conflict with U.S. foreign policy for decades. And the Democrats, the leadership of the Democrat Party, they wouldn't dare speak out against these representatives. Why? Because the left, the political left in our country, has created... These PC standards, if you will, where you can't criticize Islam, you can't criticize people with a darker skin tone than others, you can't criticize women because then you're sexist, you can't criticize Muslims, then you're Islamophobic, you can't talk about how homosexual behavior is a bad idea. It's unhealthy, unnatural, shouldn't be done. You can't talk about that because then you're, a, you're, you're a, a homophobe. And so the left has created all of these standards that they have to live by where really they can't criticize anybody except Trump supporters and conservatives and Christians. Guess what? Now they can't correct their own party members who are Islamic radicals. Why? Because then Nancy Pelosi would be an Islamophobe. Glad you joined Exposing Washington on the American Family Radio Network. Visit our website, AFR.net. Download the app on your smartphone. AFR app, American Family Radio. Download the app. We'll see you next week.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.